0: we've been told for, here's like an analogy that might explain. So we've been told forever, like you shouldn't be hungry. Like Mm. hunger is a bad thing. So when people feel hungry, they feel like they're doing something wrong. Well, what if I told you like hunger is one of the mechanisms that's used for longevity? You will stay alive, healthier with more vitality. If you experience sporadic hunger, it's the, it's one of the healthiest things you can do. All of a sudden that reframing, it's like yeah. just changes the whole landscape. Like, and that's true, by the way. People have this like, thing of like, I'm never supposed to be hungry. That's not true.
1: We are here because we know the outcomes in our lives are within our control. That taking absolute ownership of how we eat, sleep, train, think, and connect with each other is how we'll optimize our health and happiness. That chasing excellence is how we grab hold of what is possible. Our mission is to live on the run always chasing, never stop. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of Chasing Excellence. How are you, Ben?
0: I'm doing good. Thanks, Patrick.
1: We are diving into our two-minute drill. Two-minute drill, for those folks who don't know, is when I dive into my Instagram DMs, where listeners of all sorts have sent us lots of really good questions. And I pull apart uh, and pull out some of the really good ones, some of the stuff that Certainly is within the realm of things we talk about, but often um, probably not enough to quite do a full episode on. So your goal, our goal here is to kind of get through 10 or 12 of these questions with the goal of like, you know, two minutes or so, which is why we call it two minute drill. Are you ready?
0: I'm ready. Let's do it.
1: First one. If you could add new movements and remove some other movements within CrossFit, what would they be? And it wasn't specified games or training. So I'll let mm. you kind of yeah. play around with whatever answer you might got.
0: Okay. Um, so I, um, I'll i start with the, the add. And I don't know if there's any remove, but I'll, I'll start with add. And I think that something that everybody could add in their repertoire or a little bit more of their training is more horizontal rowing movements. So you think about like the kind of different um, – Major kind of planes of motion that our body does. And you know, there's obviously pressing and pulling. Um, there's also pulling and pressing with the lower body as well. If we think about like all the different things that we do, like every sort of lower body pushing is squatting, any sort of lower body pulling is like pulling off the ground, like Olympic lifts or deadlifts. Any sort of upper body pushing is like push-up, bench press, ring dip, overhead press, jerk, handstand push-up. Um, and you can kind of see how those kind of run the different gamuts of like a dip is like down, a push up is straight ahead, overhead press is over your head. When you think about that in terms of rowing movements, you have the same thing from down to up in terms of the Olympic lifting or summative high pulls. You have, you certainly have plenty of the overhead with jerks, presses, handstand push ups. Um, I'm sorry, um, with pulling movements. Um, so you with pull ups and um, chest to bar and things like that. The thing that we kind of miss a little bit is that horizontal pulling motion mm. um so it, it shows up just as rowing i mean rowing yeah. is the only place it actually does show up and it's a really important kind of plane of action um for the health of your shoulder and um you know good looking back so <laughs> i would uh so it'd be an accessory move but i don't i would not put in for metcons for time because uh it'd be a strict um you know dumbbell bent over row I think that everyone should be incorporating that type of movement, whether it's a double or, um, or it could be a barbell, but more um, horizontal pulling. So torso comes down to a um, almost parallel to the ground and then you pull your elbows back beside you. It's exactly like a ring row would work as well. It's almost the opposite mm-hmm. of a push up. So mm-hmm. that's what I think everyone could add in. And then from a, a competitive standpoint, I would love to see running in the open. Like, gosh, I would love to see running in the open. And they can do it. For sure. They've done 30-foot walking lunges um, plenty of times and handstand walking in lunges, meaning that people need that much distance to be able to cover horizontally. Um, You could bring a really, really nasty workout with 30-foot shuttle sprints in it.
1: Yeah, I was going to say shuttle sprints here,
0: right? Yeah, exactly. So um, you can imagine a workout, something like uh, super simple, um, two dumbbell snatches. So right arm, left arm, shuttle down, shuttle back four dumbbell snatches, four shuttles. Mm-hmm. You know, you could see the sequence and you go six, six, eight, eight, AMRAP 10. And it would be just like as phenomenal. You'd be able to get running in the, in the open. Um, totally measurable, totally fair. So I would love to see that. And then at the games level, I would love to see a few things. Um, one being more change of direction. So, Um, at the, the basic gist of it would be maybe a little bit more athleticism. Um, but like a, it'd be boring to watch, but like they've done broad jump before, um, that's not really changed direction, but that's the other thing they could incorporate more is like relative power. Um, every sort of time that we see power, um, displayed most of the time it's done, um, um, with absolute. So how much weight can you lift through an Olympic lift? And very very rarely is it relative, meaning like explosive to your relative to your body weight. So think like max vertical jump, max broad jump, things like that. And then um, change of direction stuff as well. So like think of like 5'10 agility, Um, pro agility is like you're changing direction really fast. I think those things would be really, really cool. Uh, Maybe another one would be, which I'm actually surprised they haven't done, is non-alternating pistols. So – Let's see people do 20 reps on one side without switching legs. Every single mm. time we've seen pistols forever, we have never not seen that. It's always been alternating. And mm-hmm. I think you're missing a massive component. Plus it makes judging so much easier because you see the lockout before the foot hits the ground. Um, it's a better test in my opinion. Like a much, yeah, much just better because test. The... It actually involves the balance that we want to see mm, in a okay. pistol.
1: I was going to say, is it also the endurance of it? Like can you do 10, 15, 20 on one leg you know, straight.
0: Yeah. I just think it's like, uh, like similar as like dumbbell snatches. We have not yet to see, like just stay on one side for a little bit. Yeah. And it's always just gives this kind of like, it doesn't to me attest quite as much. The the capacity of um, kind of the bilateral aspect of left, right, left, right. If you kind of always get to move, it's easier. I mean, it's just, it's frankly, it's easier. Um, mm-hmm. From a from a stamina, from a endurance perspective, you could argue easier in terms of work capacity.
1: Um, and then you you sort of alluded that you might not have any, but remove any, anything popped into your head to, to remove?
0: I don't know if I, what I'd like to see gone is the, that paddle at the games. Like, gosh, like every single year they, so um if you're not, if you're going to bring out the paddle, like, it's just crazy to me that, that we've like, we haven't v- varied away from that thing. I, I mm-hmm. get it. They were expensive or whatever it is. And you had to buy all these things. And so you want to use them year and year. But like combine it with something else. Like Mm -hmm. how many times have we seen swim paddle? I think we've seen swim paddle four times at the CrossFit Games. Like do swim clean and jerk. Do swim Mm -hmm. – like last year's swim event was awesome at the pool. Love it. And if you want to bring the paddle, bring the paddle back but then have people jump on C2 bikes when they get back in and then jump back out. Like enough of that combination.
1: Got it. All right. Next question. I see, I sometimes struggle with the in the moment criticism. When I get called in my boss's office, I prepare by reminding myself that any negative feedback is a chance to improve that any weakness he identifies is a place I can grow stronger. And that this will be a learning opportunity. But when that negative, when that negative feedback comes, I still find myself getting quite emotional. I don't want to be quote unquote, that guy who gets upset when faced with criticism and really do want it. But it's like my thoughts and subconscious actions aren't in line. What can I do?
0: Wow. Oh, this person's awesome. Um, cause they're saying like, <laughs> totally. Oh, like it's amazing. Right. Like this self-awareness and what they're you, like. Okay. Um, really you don't have to do anything cause you're on the right track yep. and you have this awareness and it's just going to take time honestly. Cause like, yeah, it sucks and it might suck forever. Um, but you're on totally on the right track is this awareness and the fact that you're preparing yourself before you go in there. Um, and you know that this is going to be good for you. It's like, that, that's awesome. The only small things I would do is um, potentially like reframe it a little bit. And reframing mm-hmm. is so, so powerful. Like we've been told – for here's like an analogy that I might explain. So we've been told forever like you shouldn't be hungry. Like mm. hunger is a bad thing. So when people feel hungry, they feel like they're doing something wrong. Well, what if I told you like hunger – is one of the mechanisms that's used for longevity you will stay alive healthier with more vitality if you experience sporadic hunger it's the it's one of the healthiest things you can do all of a sudden that reframing it's like yeah. just changes the whole landscape like and that's true by the way people have this like thing of like I'm never supposed to be hungry that's not true mm-hmm. so reframe hunger now reframe what you said is um I love it when you go in your, your boss is gonna give you and you said the words you said in there, I think was like negative feedback. That's mm-hmm. was that a word? Something like that. Yep. Yeah. I yep. think actually um it's not negative, negative feedback. feedback. Yep. Yeah, it's not negative feedback. It's advice. Mm. So don't even think of it as feedback. It's not even feedback. It's simply advice. Boss is calling you in and he's going to give you some advice. Now advice, it's different. It's it's not um about the past, which is what feedback is. Advice is about the future. Mm-hmm. And it's simply that reframing of like, instead of these are the things you did wrong, it's like, hey, these are the things you could mold and kind of shift and think about going forward. And that little bit of reframing goes a long way. Um, you know, if, if people don't resonate with the hunger one in terms of like how to reframe things and the power of reframing, um, Febreze, you know, like the thing that makes your apartment and house smell good. When that first came out, the way that they marketed that was like, if your apartment smells bad or your home smells bad, use Febreze to fix your bad smelling home. Mm -hmm. And no one bought it because Mm. it was framed as your apartment smells. If you buy this, you're the smelly person. Mm -hmm. And they reframed it as the product didn't change at all. All they did was reframe the marketing to be, this is the reward after you clean up. So if you are a clean person, this is the little like like little bow tie you put on the end. This is the bow you put on the box when you're done wrapping it. When you're all done with your neatness, this is the reward you get as this fresh smell. And all of a sudden, it's like one of like the most popular consumer products like yeah. in the history of the 20th century.
1: Yeah, I don't know if this is exactly the same thing, but when you're as you were saying that, what popped in my head is Red Bull. And one of the things that, you know, Red Bull obviously is wildly successful. One of the things that they were able to lean into in the early days was the idea that if it tastes this bad, it must be working or it (laughs) must be very effective, right? And so there's something about that reframe where it's like, oh, I'm not doing this because it tastes good. And like, that's what I'm, I'm doing it for a purpose. I'm doing it so that I can go, whatever, ski down the mountain. Um, And that in and of itself is kind of a useful reframe too.
0: Absolutely. Yeah. There's so much power in the way that you it's perspective, right? It's the way you view the world, and um, so just kind of tie it all back. Instead of a, a feedback, just look at it as advice. Yep. Love that. And other than that, that like you're doing it. Like this guy, this guy, this girl is totally doing it. It's amazing. So on the right direction. That self awareness is is so powerful. Because honestly, awareness and the person said like in their subconscious, they're using all the right words. Mm-hmm. Oh, the awareness and subconscious are are diametrically opposed. You can't. Like awareness will melt the subconscious. It will melt the ego. Now it doesn't do it – it doesn't like – it's not like putting a microwave and the iceberg melts. (laughs) It's like taking an iceberg and putting it in Montana. It's going to take – it might take decades for it to melt.
1: How do you find balance between chasing and relaxing? I'm a student athlete, a track and field runner, and I'm dealing with quite a bit of anxiety, especially from school. I'm passionate about school and running, but I find myself constantly checking that I'm being productive, which which makes it very hard to relax or be with friends. How can I find free time without feeling like I am not chasing excellence?
0: We've got this question a lot, and it's so cool that our this is who our audience is. Like... <laughs> I I just I think it's amazing that this is um, the people are like such hard chargers that the they're like and you and I have but we've both shared that we struggle with this we have a hard time sitting down watching a movie because like what am I doing I'm completely wasting the precious minutes that I have in my life um, and I would answer it the same way I answered the previous one is the way you frame it and you have to you have to look at it as though you're not um, not being productive. What you're doing is, and you speak it to a lot of this in other episodes. Um, you know the power of stillness, the power mm-hmm. of solitude, the power of um, intentionally detaching to create the space necessary, so that when it is time to go, you can go. So, you know the the most famous case of this is Bill Gates takes a seven to ten day trip every single year to literally just walk in the woods and read books, just like yeah, totally think we just like totally detached. And it's the way he frames it. He's not being lazy. He's not not being productive. He's not, um, 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 putting off the important stuff. He's using this to create the, to charge the battery so that he can fire on all senators that he can. And I've seen this people that don't do things like this and don't, you know, and um, entrepreneurs, it's called a, a clarity break. There's a lot of different um, forms that this takes, whether it's, um, 15 minutes, um, in the morning, in the middle of the day or the evening, a lot of times that's done with journaling or meditation or something of the sort. Um, other people do it for an hour a day or an hour a week. Um, other people might do a two or three hour, a break once a week. Other people, uh, might do a day, a quarter Or you do what Bill Gates does is you take a week, a year. Uh, I don't think there's a right or wrong to it at all. Um, But I do think it's um, massively important to figure out what it works for you. You know, I'll share the way I do and maybe you, Patrick, can do yours. Mm -hmm. But I do it um, every single morning. I I am um, kind of religious with my – I used to call it my morning routine. And what I'm finding is it's my daily routine. Like Mm -hmm. um, just like – so, um, uh, the, um, constantly auditing, um, and the auditing is the right word. It's not ed- people say like Kobe Bryant popularized, edit your life. It's not mm-hmm. edit your life. Edit is like going back and like fixing. This was a comma. It's supposed to be a semicolon. That's what mm-hmm. editing is. Auditing is, um, analyzing to dissect to uh, better um, the next steps. So like take it all in, like audit your life, like something like someone's auditing your financials, like you like audit the daily disciplines, audit the routine and try to refine and refine and refine and refine. What makes you feel fulfilled? What makes you feel like you have purpose? Uh, what um, what drains you? Like what, in, and not in the moment, but like when you look back at it was retro, uh, retro, retroactively. Um And then like use that as the number one tool to set the directive of your life. And in that has to be, in in my my opinion, I think it's super powerful that the space is involved Mm -hmm. in that. But I'm curious to hear your take on it, Pat.
1: Yeah. uh, Yeah. We could definitely talk about this for a while. I think a couple of things. One, the thing you're talking about that I love, and it's something that I struggle with, I think we probably, a lot of us struggle with is- building a building slack into a day or building slack into a week or a month or a year right it's so easy to fill everything up and then you and i think that that's why we lead we get we easily fall into burnout or exhaustion or whatnot right because we haven't designed our day or our life with the recognition that we re <laughs> it's the same thing as the gym we get fitter by recovering as much if not yeah, more right. than we do by creating the stress of in the gym and it's the same thing of the same thing outside of the gym and so i think that that's you know massively important to think about and i think the thing that i, I you know I, this question really triggers for me is is making sure that we make the distinction between being lazy and being um still right we can use that word i think we run into trouble when we one we don't make that distinction and then when we're hanging out with friends am i being lazy or is this is there a point to this and if we're not intentional about it we talk about being intentional you know all the time then it's easy to be lazy right it's easy to say okay i'm just going to stay here for 30 minutes and do nothing or i'm going to sit here and read this book i'm going to have a conversation with a friend whatever and so I also think that that's an important distinction. And then just kind to, to answer your question about kind of how I do it, I've struggled with it since having kids because it, kids take up a lot of the slack that you know you, you used to have before. But one thing that I've found con- kind of consistently works well for me is um, when I'm when I'm putting one of the kids down to sleep. Oftentimes it's fifteen minutes of quiet in a dark room, and I try to use those moments to do the kind of reflection you're talking about. Um, simply because that tends to be where I got fifteen or twenty minutes. I can't leave. I, you know, I can't go do work. I can't do something else. So, that I find at least most of the time, I can t- kind of take advantage of that space and that time to do the sort of work we're talking about.
0: Yeah, I love that. I love the uh, the intentionality. The intentionality is the big part for me, like yeah. what you what you pointed to. That that right there for the person that answered this question should be the answer. Like if you're per if you're doing this intentionally, like like right on you, like this is like, yep. go for the walk in the woods. You're not being exactly. lazy, like sit on that chair in your living room and just like chill for a little, like, that's okay. Like Netflix, like yep. if that's what it is for you, if you need to, whatever it is, but I think it'd be really cool, Pat, we should do, um, like a designing your day, a designing your life type episode. I, love I think it'd that. be really cool. I'm yeah.
1: list. I'm making going to of that. Okay. Next question. About two weeks ago, I tweaked something in my back doing deadlifts. I got x-rays and the doctor said it was nothing more than a herniated disc. Aside from biking, benching, and pressing, what kinds of movements would you have an athlete do during their recovery from this? And I have just a follow-up question. When I read that, I was like, nothing more than a herniated disc. When I hear that, I think, well, that's actually something. Is a herniated disc not... relatively serious. Cause it doesn't seem like it, at least in the, in the context of the question. So I'm just curious yeah. about that too.
0: Uh, I think they've been popularized as, um, a, as something that's pretty massive. Most hernia discs will heal themselves with time. Okay. Um, now I'm not a doctor. I'm certainly not a, a, a spine doctor. Um, but that's from the, the, I had a back injury. I had a back fusion. Mm-hmm. Um, i I know a lot of people that have had, um, hernia discs, myself included. Um, I know a lot of people that have had disectomies, um, which is basically fixing a herniated disc. Um, mine was not. Mine was um, um, basically degenerative disc disease. They call it disease. I don't know why they call it disease. It's just like I got injured in high school and then the juice ran out of the disc and there's bone on bone. So there wasn't much else to do except kind of fuse it together. Um, but um, yeah, a herniated disc can be just a herniated disc, but it also could be something really big that a simple procedure um, called a can fix. Now. That's outside the scope of this question. Yeah. Um, and we're doing a really good job of butchering the two minutes. I was, uh, I was just
1: looking at the clock too. We are yeah. m- terrible.
0: <laughs> All right. So I'll do this one quick then, okay? Um, movements to do with a back injury. And this person's right to ask this because it's the most limiting. Like you hurt your big toe, no big deal. You hurt your wrist, you hurt your knee, you hurt your ankle, you hurt your shoulder. You got a lot left. You hurt your back, not a lot left. Here's the things that um, coming back from my back injury, my my back spinal fusion, um, the first things that I was able to incorporate were just with the person, just with this question they were talking about, you know, it's a bench, it's the strict press, um, but strict pull-ups work really, really well for if like, if you have the strength, um, biking, if you can do it, it's not everybody. Um, but biking works, um, even walking helps a lot, but then the best movement that I started incorporating was walking lunges, um, I would and it's, I try to take it back, eventually got to walking lunges. In the beginning, it was step back reverse lunges, holding on to something, a uh, 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 part of the rig in the gym, your table, something else. because your spine, unlike a squat where your pelvis tips under, potentially and causes a butt wink in a lot of um, um, bad positions, especially for a hernier disc, in a lunge, because it's that you your back stays much, much more neutral, but yet you are bringing yourself through bilaterally, one side at a time, through the complete range of motion of a squat. So it's a really, really good movement to incorporate in. It's something I, I recommend really early on for a lot of people coming back from back injuries. The next ones would be um, sled pulling. Um, sled pulling is great. You put the sled, you put the strap around your waist, it's below your legs and you go for pull, you go super, super heavy, um, not using your back or you go light and long and get some really good cardio in. Um, and then to that point, you could also do belt squats. Mm-hmm. So, um, a weight dip belt, um, stand between two plyo boxes, strap some, um, uh, you know, strap two 70 pound kettlebells to it. And you can, um, it's kind of like a, a, it's, they're called belt squats and there's a machine for it, but you don't need the machine. Got it. Love it. Okay, now much, we're going to speed up. We're going to speed up these questions. We're going to start talking much yes. faster. Yes. How much time should I
1: re how much time should I realistically expect to be preparing food in a week if I want to eat clean? How frequently should I expect to make trips to the grocery store? Obviously that's
0: a big depends, but yeah, you that would be up. my answer. It depends like, Oh my <laughs> yeah. gosh. Like, are it's you preparing? Just you. Yeah. Let's, you're just, preparing let's just assume
1: that it's just single like, you know, person, 24 year old single person. Just, just trying to take care of themselves.
0: Yeah. Um. Again, totally depends. Um. But you could do this once a week. People do this in Sunday afternoons. That's not the way I operate at all. Um. Uh, and you also, depending on where you live, don't need to go to the grocery store at all, which quarantine showed us. You get food delivered to you, which is what we do all the time through Instacart. Um. So we don't go to the grocery store anymore. It just shows up on our doorstep within two hours of ordering all the time. Um, And then we prepare foods for um, the next day. Mm -hmm. So So we're actually, yeah, I mean, uh, you know, I'm probably not the right person to answer this question because the truth is I I use paleo power meals. Like food is delivered, prepared, um, because as we've talked about so many times is the most valuable thing to me is my time and attention. And if I'm spending time and giving attention to preparing food, when I could be doing that with name three dozen other things that to me are more valuable to, way to spend my time. It's not a matter of cost at that point because it's so I'm, I'm buying my time and attention. Yeah. Um. So that's, I think it's super valuable to um. and again, if you like the food, I wouldn't eat, I wouldn't do it if I didn't like it. Um. But that's where, that's where I would go. Otherwise I would say, you know, if I was single and doing this on my own, I could do this in 30 minutes a night, you know, between the ordering online and preparing food for the next day. I would just, my my answer is I would cook dinner. I would kick, cook two dinners, and that next mm-hmm. dinner is my lunch the next morning. Yep, love that. Notice yeah. yeah, I said would... lunch the next morning. There's no <laughs> such thing as there's no such thing as breakfast. Breakfast is not a real meal. Love that. Breakfast um, is breaking a fast. Breaking a yeah. fast. It is not cereal, donuts, and bagels, and all the other crap.
1: Yeah, I would say my my, my biggest depends on that would be if you don't care about exciting food it's incredibly easy to do it right to eat clean relatively quickly with rotisserie chicken some bell yeah. peppers some carrots some cucumbers some some bananas and apples you don't have to actually prepare food it just becomes when yeah one if you get bored easily and two if food is like par- preparing food and eating food is like part yeah. of who you are and it's, then then it gets more complicated gets more expensive gets more time consuming
0: you nailed it like go to the grocery get a rotisserie chicken and two apples yeah yeah it's like it's it. so easy
1: Do you think it's possible to open a successful affiliate, a CrossFit affiliate, as a part-time venture, meaning you have a full-time job and you work the affiliate before and after work?
0: You'd have to define what success is. And I think success means different things to different people. Love that. Um, So if you mean um, stay in business, yes, you can do that. Um, I would um, create some very, very, very low expectations for the affiliate. So- I would want to be paying you know, very, very little in rent because the other side of that, can you have a thriving business if that, that's different than successful? Do you have a thriving business that is – and to me, a thriving business is um, one where you don't have to worry about the financials. The owner uh, doesn't have to worry about day-to-day operations. And has a, um, a a phenomenal reputation amongst the community. That's not just customers. A phenomenal reputation amongst the community, and you can find community however you want in mm-hmm. CrossFit. Maybe it's amongst the entire CrossFit community, maybe it's in your local neighborhood or surrounding towns. But those would be the, that. To me, is what thriving is. Um, and to do that on a part-time basis, no, you cannot. Yeah. No. Uh, like, definitely not.
1: Yeah. I love I love what you said first. Just define success because if success is just like I want it to be open, so that It can be here versus I want to eventually work. I want it eventually to be what I do full time. Those are different roads and and probably different, um, different demands. Next one. I'm a sports medical physician and uh, L1 CrossFit coach. In the preventative point of view, we take functional sports into our family physician's practice. So we integrate personal trainers into our medical prescriptions, and he puts that in quotes. Why on the other side, don't gyms and affiliates integrate a physician into their lifestyle lifestyle prescriptions?
0: Because there's not enough of you out there. Mm. (laughs) That's why. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if there was more of you, like... Dude, you move to Natick and you can work with our, our athletes, like absolutely 100%. The problem is, as this person knows as well as anything, the reason that they're outsourcing is because there's not synergistic viewpoints between the medical community and the health and fitness community. In fact, most medical professionals are out there to help fix sick people. Like that's what the medical community is set up to do. Well, the fitness and health perspective is to, is to keep you from getting sick. And it's kind of like, well, if it didn't work out, let's send to the doctor. Those two things, this person is awesome, like dialed. It should be working together. And there really shouldn't be that much difference between the two. Hmm. Um, It should be essentially like, hey, you do your general physical preparedness, but you also um, um, play your sport and see your your specific sport coach. It should be the same type of thing, right? It's like you do this GPP thing, but then you have like your medical coach. And it's just not as we're going to get there. I just think that Mm -hmm. we're probably about a decade away from it, where these things start to overlap, where, um, you know, it's this idea that we kind of talked about. It's not about lifespan anymore. It's about health span. And if we can get people to live healthier, longer, people will start to see those two things interacting. And um, the medical community will have more to do with the longevity aspect than we will, but we'll have more to do with the health inside of that lifespan. Um, you know, cause they're going to keep people alive. If your organs fail, like don't go to a CrossFit gym, like go get surgery. If you're in a car accident and you are bleeding out, like you need a doctor. If you have yeah. find a tumor, the size of a softball in your neck, like go get your life saved by one of these amazing professionals. But, um, it'll start to overlap more and more and more. Um, and it will start with people like this person.
1: Yeah. Love that. I just had my annual physical and as happened last time, we went through the whole thing and he's like, okay, well, you're pretty boring. So he left, he kicked me out. And after like, there's nothing to talk about. No, exactly.
0: That's the problem right now. There's nothing to talk about because they're not looking to optimize. Yeah. If there's no problems that they can find right now, problems, there's nothing to talk about because what they do is they fix sick people. They're not trying to get you optimized.
1: Next question. My teenage niece and nephew are getting into CrossFit now and doing it two or three times a week. They're also really active doing gymnastics, soccer, various running events. As I'm more doing more hypertrophy training, so really watching my macros as per my body weight, they've noticed um, my results and asked about what, if any, macros they should be looking at um, as they are getting more serious into training is it the same as an adult and more importantly uh, what about supplements should teenagers be um, taking things like multivitamins creatine cod liver oil etc cetera, etc cetera?
0: okay cool question um no it is not the same as an adult um because they're still developing um we're done growing um we've and it happens it's puberty so um, if somebody has not gone through puberty and give them a year or two after that um then they it is different um but you can still have the conversations. They should still be paying attention to what they're eating, and they could—they can think about macros, um, but they'd only need to think about one, and it's mm. protein. Um, and all they need to do is get in. If they're active athletes, it's super simple. It's one pound of lean—it's one pound of lean protein for every pound of body weight. Mm. So your niece and nephew—they're 150 pounds. They should be trying to get 150 um, grams of protein a day, and that's the only thing that they need to worry about. The only thing they need to track. And then from there, the goal and the conversation then shifts from macros to let's try to get this as well sourced as possible. So if you're having that at McDonald's, it doesn't count. It has to be from um clean, well-sourced protein. Um and better lean than not. So, like, yeah, it might be from a grass-fed cow, but you're having ribs with barbecue sauce all over them. It's not, that's not what we're talking about. Yep. Um, so we're trying to get it from um, Wild caught fish, um, organic free range chickens, um, grass fed cattle, all that type of stuff, and then from there steer them towards real foods, um, fruits and vegetables. So I call it, I call it produce and protein. It's like just that produce and protein, um, and then from there there is no supplements that they need to be taking. Got
1: it. Next one. I am a sophomore in high school, and I want to take my and I want to open my own cross. More teenagers. Gym one day. Yeah. How important is it to have a college degree for that kind of job? I'm seeing more and more certification courses being available, and I would much rather take those than spend four plus years in college and spending an insane amount of money.
0: Yeah. Don't go to college. Done. Simple. Yep. Yeah. For like, I, I can expand upon this as long as we want, but that's <laughs> for what you're trying to do. You're not going to learn it in college. You could get, you could go to college, have an amazing experience if you want to go mm-hmm. do that but what you just said was it's going to cost you an insane amount of money. Yeah. So you could have a great experience. It's, um, you do not need a college degree to open a successful CrossFit gym. Now that doesn't mean don't get, don't get educated. Hmm. Um, and the certifications are the bare minimum. Like you, to me, getting your level three CrossFit, um, is the bare minimum. That's, Level one, you have a heartbeat. Level two, you showed up and paid attention. Level Mm. three, you have a knowledge base. Level Mm. four, I know you're a good coach. So I need you to have a level three before we have a conversation. And then from there, then now go get yourself so educated on everything else that you can in terms of life. Just, you know, Stephen Covey and um, um, Dale Carnegie and um, Seth Godin and um, Chris Voss and like just like, go and, you know, Ryan holiday, like just go be a student of life. Um, and any sort of business books, um, you know, just devour them.
1: Mm. That's really cool. I wonder if anybody's written a book for like, you know, soon to be wannabe teenage entrepreneurs and like that kind of advice. Cause that to me would be wildly cool and valuable. Right. Yeah. I don't know. I wonder if anybody's done that.
0: I just think that I I think in general, like the college thing is going to you know, and pandemic might have sped it up a little bit, but people yeah. paying a quarter of a million dollars yeah to take some classes that 60 per 5% are going to have very very little relevance to what they end up doing. Mm-hmm. And and who knows what the heck they want to do at age 18 anyway?
1: Next question. How do you talk to athletes who think that they're destined to be the next Matt or Katrin, but just don't have the skills or strength? How can you help them set realistic expectations without killing their enthusiasm?
0: Okay. This question's important because I hate this question. Who are you to decide? Now, if if this is age-dependent, so if somebody comes up to you and says I want to be Matt Raczyn and they're 47 years old, like yeah I get it. Like let's 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 um, handle with kid gloves and try to make sure that they understand that that's no longer a possibility. I would even have that conversation with somebody that's introduced to the sport um, after the age of 26. Let's mm-hmm. do that. But somebody that is 19 through 24. That says that they want to be the next Katrin or Matt or Tia or whoever it is, and your response is, "How do I tell them that they can't do that?" God, I just don't want this person as my coach. Hmm. Like, so what you're telling? So, like, what if I want to back squat 500 pounds? You're gonna tell me the same thing. What if I want to run a sub three hour marathon? What if I want to? What if I want to win a marathon? Your job is to help me get there. To me, what I hear there is I don't have the skill set as a coach to get this person there. So, how do I temper their expectations of me? Mm. That's what I hear when I hear this question. Mm-hmm. Because somebody has to win the CrossFit games. In fact, two people do, a guy and a girl have to win the CrossFit games. Why can't that be this person? It's going to be somebody. So I take the exact opposite approach of like Mm -hmm. everyone goes like, do you know what the chances are that – so you have half a million people that are participating in this sport and then from there, the 0.00001% are the ones that make it. Yes. Yes. Why can't that person be part of that zero? There has to be some people. It has to be some people. They can't not have the CrossFit Games and they can't not have 30 athletes participating there if it's not, if you're going to give you one of those 30, why can't it be one of you? Why can't you be one of the 30? Like, that's just, it's an insane approach to me of like, that's like saying someone saying like, um, I want to earn $10 million. And someone go, do you know what the chances are of you earning $10 million are? Mm. And then walking them through that instead of going like, all right, you do. And imagine if you know how to do that. You're like, you've done it with 12 other businesses. You go, all right, here's what it's going to take. Like, it's just a business plan. So if that's the case, it's just a plan to get someone to the podium. It's just a plan. And what you need is a motivated individual. That's it. You need a motivated individual that's willing to do the work. So if somebody's coming up to you and saying like, hey, I'm willing to do the work and you go like, "Uh," and your first response is let's temper them.
1: Mm.
0: (sighs) Find a new gym.
1: Are you guys seeing any trends or increases in retirees supplementing their retirement financially or just staying active by coaching CrossFit? And if uh, if if not, do you feel like it would be a good fit for a retiree? I haven't seen many 55 plus gray-haired coaches. Um, how do you feel uh, they would be perceived as coached by members?
0: Yeah, I think that uh, this is a cool question. I like this. Um, Me too. I think it's the future. I think it's coming. Um, just like... Uh, like ski instructors, right? Like there's the like there's the guys in their twenties, and then there's the the ski bums that have decided like to just pursue this as you know through their twenties and thirties, and then there's the retirees, the people that have like done it, and they're now they're like going to live in the mountains and do this as a supplemental income. I think it's coming. I just think we're still early. I just I just think it's a time thing. Um, the sport started with kind of like this group. It didn't start with kids, and it didn't start with oldies it started with greg glassman coaching a bunch of 20 somethings yep. that's the way it started but then it's having this you know the um the edges of the 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 bell-shaped curve are just getting a little bit fatter and fatter and fatter mm-hmm. um and we're seeing in our gym like there we have um 50 year olds um in our gym that are coaches they don't coach in mm. our gym they coach at other gyms but um we have them so it's happening
1: Love that. I love it from a brand perspective. If you think about the the kind of people who you want to attract into your gym and how much how much lower the barrier is to them saying yes if they walk in and they see somebody who looks like them, mm-hmm. and that that's across the board. That's that's if I'm a if I'm a forty year old woman and I see another woman roughly in the same group and she's coaching, suddenly it means this place could be for me. If somebody if they hired somebody if that person is representing the business and the brand and that person looks like me well, man, there's a good chance that I could belong here. Yeah, absolutely. Right? Whereas when I walk in there and I see a, a, a fleet of 24-year-old tattooed guys and girls and I'm 52, oh, is this place for me? Did I walk? Did I make a mistake? Did I walk into a place that I yeah. shouldn't walk into? So just the perception of it, I think is is wild, could be wildly valuable for Jim.
0: I think people underestimate that aspect, Patrick. And I know you don't. You speak to this a lot about with your own, you know, your functional branding side of things. It's like, do I belong here? I, I just really think that that do I belong here? Is the goal of marketing um, mm-hmm. and, and to the goal and marketing and operations are over a completely overlap. So, um, cause you're, who you hire for your coaching is a, is a marketing play. And you speak to this, like there is no edges to what marketing is. And I use the exact, like a few years ago, man, it was probably like 10 years ago now, but um, I I got into um, very short lived um, shooting, like a gun, like a pistol mm. Re- I, I
1: remember that. Didn't you lock your gun in a safe and then lost? Yeah, I forgot. Key I forgot the yeah, and Matt crap.
0: Fraser had to I brought to bring it to Matt Fraser's house in frame in uh Vermont and he had to open it for me with a like a power tool. Oh that's amazing. So that's how that's how we that part right? of the story. Oh yeah. So I like <laughs> locked it in a safe and like but when I when I did that, I was like I was like searching and like you can see what these companies want to do. And honestly, we're experiencing the comp train right now. Yeah. So when I would go to like, look at a website about like a shooting school or something like that, if I saw a bunch of like guys in tactical gear that were jacked up, um, with all like the, the scopes and you could tell that they were like dialed. And, um, I was like, well, that's not for me. Yeah. Like, it doesn't matter if it's like what the text says it's because the imagery is like, this is, I am not them. So important. if I saw a bunch of dudes in t-shirts and jeans you know in dad jeans of all shapes and sizes um you know that look like me in the imagery i'm like oh that's for me and those are those are, that's the course i would go to and it's what we're kind of working through with CompTrain right now is CompTrain is not just for katrin and cole yeah. and chandler it is not mm-hmm. but that's all that we have imagery of yeah um so because people do it they look at it and they go that's really cool like There's no doubting that just like these tactical guys, but that's not me. And, um, it's one of the things that we have to be cognizant of and, um, moving forward as well.
1: Next question. I've got two more. I'm coming back from an overuse injury, not CrossFit related. I overtrained for a marathon, unknowingly causing a femoral, femoral, femoral stress fracture. It has taken me almost a year to get back to a place oh, where damn. I can, um, yeah. I can start impact and weight training again. I've only been able to swim for fitness so far. However, I'm a bit scared to start training again. I don't want to get re-injured. You talk a lot about pain versus discomfort. How can you tell the difference between pain from injury and discomfort from discomfort from pushing your yourself?
0: yourself if it's um orthopedic it's pain Mm. so if it's a joint if it's a bone if it's um even like a you know like a strained muscle if it's like nervy type stuff if it's your neck if it's your head um if it if it's um range of motion related um that's all pain Mm. Discomfort is, um, this is hard and I don't want to keep doing this. Yeah, That's the difference. Um, They are not, you are not supposed to push through pain at the amateur recreational pursuing health level. You're moving backwards, period. Professional athletes push through pain. It's their job. Mm. They... You know, we had uh, an elite athlete roll their ankle on a trail run. They're they they have not missed a training session or a set yet. They work through that. Mm-hmm. Regular athletes, no, you don't work through that. Like you, you work around it. And this person, I I respect that they're they took a year off to recover from it, um, and now they're looking to get back into it. Um, a stress fracture in your femur, you can you can do more than just swimming. hmm Um you can do pull ups. You can do push-ups. You can do bench press. Um, there's plenty of stuff that can be had there without um, – and you're training then. And training um, you know, um, around helps speed up recovery. Not training through. I'm not saying go and do squats. I'm not saying go and do box jumps. I'm not saying go and keep running. I'm not saying train through. I'm saying train around. Mm-hmm. Um, train around pain, not through it.
1: Got it. Last question we've got. Are the, I love this question. Are the CrossFit Games events generally harder than training sessions? Or do the training sessions leading up to the games make the events themselves feel relatively okay?
0: Yeah, they, um, they make them feel relatively okay, honestly. Um, they're, these guys train incredibly hard. The Games is lower volume than they do in training. Mm-hmm. Um, they train with higher volume than they experience at the Games. Um, the Games generally... Is um between two and four workouts a day. Um the our athletes do more than that. And um the training is really hard. Now the difference is we cannot replicate in training the psychological effects of competing. And that's what makes the games the beatdown. Mm. Um it's called the psychobiological model. Um, you know, it's popularized by uh Matt Fitzgerald that we had on this podcast. And what ends up happening is it's the um it's the stress of the nervous system. And it's not just like stress, okay, if you can mitigate stress, you're good. It's like, no, it's you you don't get around it. It's like trying to get around like the thrusters are 135 pounds and being like, well, if I think different things, I won't have to do them. <laughs> it's like you're at a competition. It's like you don't have an option. It's going to be there at a higher level than you've experienced before. We can do a lot of stuff to prepare for it, just like we do it on the physiological side. We can do a lot of stuff to prepare for it on the psychological side as well, but it's going to be there. And what we find, in fact, is that I understand the question. In my world, it's kind of like, this is kind of a crazy question because we know how much training these guys do. But it makes sense because the athletes are so beat down from the games, not necessarily just from the volume. Yes, we do not do things like Atlanta. That workout, we do not have them do 300 pull-ups in a workout. That's a bad training effect. So workouts like that, that are over-programmed, are just that—they're over-programmed. But it was the last. Castro's not an idiot. It's the last workout of the event, Um, you know. So they're ready for it. Um, There are um, certain years that are more of a beatdown than others. You know, they did the the uh, unpartitioned Murph in 120 Mm -hmm. degrees in vests at uh, noon. That was that caused a lot of damage. Um, but we've seen damage even at, the, at regionals. And people remember what regionals were. It was a three-day event with two events a day. So that is such drastically reduced. These guys, uh, they, it's not like we do these workouts. We do like different sessions and some are like strength pieces and others are accessory and others are workouts and others are monostructural, meaning like they go for runs or bike rides. But generally think of it as like they do like three to five workouts a day. Mm -hmm. in training regionals was only two workouts a day and a lot of them were very low volume fifty-nine of ring dips and snatches that type of thing like really low Mm -hmm. volume and the athletes would be so wrecked from regionals sore um beat up exhausted um it's not because they didn't train appropriately for it it's because of the psychological dump that happens um, after that event, so um, we recognize that as well, and we mitigate it by tapering beforehand and um, doing appropriate deloads post competition.
1: Love it, my friend. Thank you. That was great. I love these. I love these episodes. Thank you to everybody out there who sends us questions. You can find me on Instagram at ps Cummings. Drop me a DM. I will add it to our long list, and we'll get to it as soon as we can. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you for your ratings and your reviews. Ben and I will be back with another episode of Chasing Excellence next week. You can get every episode of Chasing Excellence wherever you listen to your podcasts or on YouTube. Until next time, thank you for listening.